Welcome to Very Honored Frater BT's Esoteric Podcast, episode 112, in which Roddy Strong and Eli and Bishop Leo and I have a conversation about a lot of things. It's in the description, uh, but the title of this episode is the other left-hand path. Um, now, for those who aren't familiar with the term, left-hand path usually refers to like sort of an evil, selfish uh, form of magic as opposed to the right-hand path, which is like more selfless uh, or something. Um, but the other left-hand path, I'm, I'm actually referring to American politics. Uh, the the Democrats, the donkeys, the liberals, maybe the uh, the democratic socialists as well, and then of course when you go a little further to the left, you get into the uh, the Marxists and the Leninists and uh, all this good stuff. So uh, we'll do something a little different for today's segment: Thomas and the Wolf by Edward Reeb. I'm going to read you chapter one. Notice that there's red text and there's green text so for those of you who've read the never-ending story you might have a little bit more insight into some of the subtleties of thomas and the wolf than uh, than most on first reading the first chapter is called rivalry is there a place i can set this where it looks okay and I'm talking to the people on YouTube for those who are listening. Again, I know I always do that. This isn't the most flattering angle, but better than having it jumping around in my hand, right? Okay, so you can pretend you're sitting around and uh, gonna do story time. See, there's me with Piyu or Priyal. And uh, you can see the description here. Tom is a workaholic left tuber trying to balance having a life making the world a better place and pleasing the YouTube algorithm. The wolf is the unofficial mascot for the alt-right. I'm reading that backwards, but hopefully you saw it forwards. Okay, so here we go. <clears throat> this is chapter one, rivalry. This is red letter text now. The new competition the new race for space, the new rivalry is to uncreate rivalry. Those who accept this already know it. Those who resist it will create its joy being thrust upon them. Everybody gets to win. In the myriad levels and frequencies of spaces and places, the now dance reigns through all. In the place where night and day are one, differences in doctrines are dissolved in the process of aligned experience. Okay, we're moving on to the green text. So that was the red text. If you've read, there's a lot of books that do this. Uh, for example, Dune and a few others, they'll have like a little, uh, I, I think Foundation was, Foundation might've been the first ones to do it where he had a, a little uh, paragraph from the encyclopedia. Anyway, moving on to the green text. For Pete's sake, Ebenezer Rothschild is not even a real person. 
Thomas said, slamming his fist on the table in front of him. He took a moment to collect himself. He closed his eyes, took a breath, and remembered that he's not one of those angry pundits trying to stir up bad vibes. He's a part of the solution, not part of the problem. He looked back at the camera. I'll edit this part out. Here's a little dot indicating that we're kind of a change in scene. Still green text though. I just wanna know where this is going. Tom and Gwen sat at their usual table in what appeared to be a coffee house, but the food was so good it might be a Michelin three-star restaurant. Gwen was once Thomas's high school crush, who he'd finally gotten the courage to ask out to prom. Then there was college. Then came the YouTube channel. Thomas held up one finger and continued chewing his avocado toast, snarling for time. He'd been dreading this conversation for weeks. Finally, he came out with it. Look, I know you dream of a house with a white picket fence and all that. That hadn't sounded the way he'd intended. What I mean is the algorithm. I know. Gwen put her hand on his. I know. Tom hadn't expected to cry, but he wasn't embarrassed. That would be gender normative. She wiped his face with a napkin. So this is it? He looked at her for a moment. He loved her. There was no denying that. If it were up to him, he'd be with her for the rest of his life. He shrugged. I guess so. And that was the end of that. Tom checked his phone and reached for his wallet. Gwen said, I got it. Tom said, thank you. To do otherwise would be a microaggression. Sorry, I got a deadline, I know. Change of scene, little dot. Change of character too, by the way. I do not align myself with Nazis, whether you mean those of World War II era Germany or those who call themselves that today. The press man pointed to the swastika tattoo over his heart and the surrounding runes on his well-maintained torso. How do you explain this? When I was 18, I dropped out of high school and went to India, lived there for seven years. This tattoo was given to me by the same Brahmin who gave me these mala beads after I climbed a sacred mountain, chanted Om Namah Shivaya well over a hundred thousand times and a lot of other things. Oh, okay, I see. So it's nothing to do with Nazis, the press man said sarcastically, raising an eyebrow to his audience behind the camera lens. So then uh, why is your perfectly spiritual, not racist at all, swastika tattoo surrounded by Germanic runes again? He crossed his arms, standing tall and proud. Because I honor my ancestors, like the Bible taught me, like Confucius and anyone worthy to be called human called me. And my ancestors came from England, Scotland, the Netherlands, Germany too. Runes are part of my heritage. And see here and here are Celtic knots, because Celts are part of my heritage too. 
press man says, so would you say you're proud of being white? Hey, those are your words, not mine. Yours and Carl Linnaeus. The wolf paused like he expected Pressman to say something. Nothing, really? You should Google that. Look, if it came down to a race war, I know what side I'd be on, but if you respect me, I'll respect you. And being your rival doesn't mean I think my ancestors are better than yours or my genes are superior. It just means I look out for my own, just like you do. Ultimately, I look out for myself. He thrust his thumb into the center of his chest. Excuse me, I was a little low. I see, Pressman says. Is that why you call yourself the lone wolf? Is that a real wolf's head? The pressman indicated the taxidermized upper jaw and head of the gray wolf that the tall bearded white man was wearing as a hat. Just the wolf. I am the wolf. When you look at me, you are looking through me at the great wolf spirit. My ego died a long time ago. I killed it, meaning I, the wolf, killed it. Now I'm just the wolf. The press man tried to stifle a laugh, but also seemed to be a little bit afraid. Well, that's about all the time we have. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us here at WOWT. Fake news! The wolf got the last word in, then proceeded to howl and return to the chanting crowd, pouring two beers over his own head. USA! USA! If you're interested in finding out what happens next, it's available on Amazon. And so, without further ado, let's get to that conversation, shall we? Greetings, Fratter. Hello. <laughs> How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm doing well. That's good. Oh my gosh, I didn't almost didn't recognize you. <laughs> so good to see you, man, in real time. Yeah. Uh, if you need to refer to me as Eli. Eli. Okay, I'm gonna edit that part out. Okay. Yeah, it's it's good to meet you, man. I I uh, I'm digging your beard. Thank you. Beard from one uh, hairy brother to another. <laughs> um, hey, yeah, Bluetooth might be a bit you. better. Is it okay? Yeah. Sorry. I'd love to show you my my sky altar out here. Um, this this is my front yard, um, and um, when you walk out to past the garden, I have. Um, let me see if I can turn this maximum bright now. Yeah, I have um, this uh, this altar. I'm not sure how much you can see, but it's a it's a fire pit with twelve zodiacals around it with with uh each of them you know and here we are right now we're in uh sag right now mm. so it's a we're it's all about getting some sag in your vag <laughs> and um and uh i always like to see where people are on my little algorithm machine here this is like a synchronicity machine so on the uh on the inside i have this fire pit with the 12 zodiacals and on the outside I have the macrocosm. I have this uh, sort of altar bench uh, 
with the uh, angel names I was trying to memorize. So I painted them on the stump and then there's sigils and uh, on all the uh, stumps here. And you can see it goes through all seven. And I have a few little uh, odds and ends like on the, on the Mars altar. Can you see the Mars sigil? Is it? Yeah. Ben. Yeah. yeah. I have a, a donkey jawbone kind of invoking Samson the Nazarite, you know, who uh, was kind of like the uh, the right arm of God, so to speak, you know, and um, he's just, uh, he's a saint kind of uh, that I've been working with in literature uh, with a book I'm writing right now. Uh, oh, but, uh, cool. where, where are you, what's your, uh, are you comfortable saying your sun and moon sign? Yeah, my sun sign is Sagittarius, my moon sign is at the end of Taurus. All right, right on, man. Your your sun signs and my moon sign, Sag over here, hmm. and then a Taurus over here. I just kind of like to have the visual when I'm talking to people sometimes. <laughs> and and of course we have a very honored VT over here, Virgo. <laughs> which yeah. which your moon sign? It's same as his, end of Taurus. Um, okay. I, and then I'm at I'm right at the end of Virgo. So I, I'm right in the last part of the earth signs with my sun and moon. <laughs> and I did uh, I did some, uh, I uh, opened the altar up tonight with uh, the water and the fire, as it were. Um, nice. Some um, IPA here is, uh, and I did the Holy Spirit of Domine, Histopod Munabur, Lava Bismayet, Lava Bismayet. Super Novem DL Babur. Super Novem DL Babur, right. <laughs> and so opening the altar with water. Cheers. Oh, I'm waking up, so I'm, I'll cheers with my, my coffee. <laughs> and opening the, the fire, the altar with fire. And Chinsa must do today, Benedictum. Ashenate Domini, addition of Super Misericordia Tuo. I can join in the spirit of that as well. All right. Um, Actually, have I, I saved a tiny, tiny little piece just for this. Right on, brother. Yeah, I'm trying to cut down. <sighs> I'm going to do a, a pretty good cleanse after New Year's. I'm turning 50 this year. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, half a, half a damn century, you know, yeah. I feel every bit of it. Mm. So I'm going to give up meat again, and I'm going to give up alcohol again, and I'm going to cut the weed back to um, just you know once or twice a day <laughs> which which for me would be down stepping yeah <laughs> i started smoking kind of regularly uh right around the beginning of the uh, trump administration uh yeah that's understandable yeah <laughs> <laughs> do, do you have a do you have an altar set up over there where, where you're at brother yeah, I've got a, a temple space and a, a room behind me. Wow. Are we allowed to look at it, or is it like a completely secret, private thing? Uh, well, well, currently you're in my computer, so <laughs> it'd be difficult to take my computer <laughs> in there. Come on, maybe, you're a big guy. Maybe later we can go with um, phone. <laughs> yeah, at some point we'll do the phone. Um, yeah, right on. But it's, uh, it's basically a Golden Dawn standard setup. Um, I've got the, the two pillars and the banners and, um, I've got sheets up on the walls to black them out. And then I've got a, um, 
Masonic carpet on the floor. Oh, red. And then I've got um, I've got my big screen Spirit TV. I've got a 37 inch scrying mirror <laughs> that I keep between the pillars. How cool! <laughs> a scrying television. <laughs> yep. That works. Hey, it's a black mirror. <laughs> well, it's a it's a 37 inch glass uh, tabletop that oh, I just found. Cool. Wow. And so the I don't that's my TV is that <laughs> big Oh right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> the old fashioned TV. I like, <laughs> yep. I like your, uh, I like your uh, cemetery backdrop there. That's uh beautiful. Oh thank you. <laughs> is that like a, a tapestry or a random picture I found on the internet. Oh, this is one of those internet gosh, I'm such an old man. That's an internet thing. You can like put your backdrop up there. <laughs> yep. It hides the mess that's behind me. <laughs> yep. So uh, what what's your story with, with very honored, very honored Ed? I like to so uh I joined HOMSI back in nineteen ninety-nine. And at the time they gave us two um, two mentors oh god and, was i one of them <laughs> <yep>. <laughs> i'm so sorry oh, Brad. <laughs> 1999. I, had a, oh, no. <laughs> I had a stories stories i had a philosophist mentor and an adept mentor so i didn't work with with him very much at the time oh okay uh, yeah, that's, that's how we met uh eric v cisco and, yeah that goes by yeah yes yeah, yeah, Eric V. Cisco. He was my yeah, he was the, the main mentor. Yeah, yeah. And it was interesting because um, in 2000, we'd all planned on going to Power Week together. Power Week. And <laughs> that was the summer that he quit. And uh, so I sh <laughs> I showed up to California not knowing what anybody. What would Satan do, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. I had my "What would Satan do" shirt. <laughs> I had no idea who anybody was, and I'm walking around <laughs> like, "So is is Frater PR here?" And they're all like, "Who?" I'm like, "Frater PR. He's my mentor." And they're like, "Oh, is that the guy that just quit?" And I'm like, "What the hell? What have I gotten myself into?" <laughs> wow. Yeah. So how did and you find out about it? Edward saved me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so what was your original thread that led you to that temple? Um, it was sort of weird. I started doing magic stuff when I was a kid because my grandparents were spiritualists. And so I was reading all sorts of weird stuff from a very early age. And um, I introduced one of my friends to the weird esoteric -y, magic -y kind of stuff. And he found HOMSI and would not tell me about it hmm. at all. He, yeah, he took okay. that vow of secrecy seriously. And I, I went over to his house one time to visit. And when I got home, there were flyers in my books. Uh, I, brought, <laughs> I brought books over to show, like, look at the neat, neat things that I got. And he had, he had flyered my books. Right on. And so that's, oh, that's how I found it. Um, yeah, I was. He did tell you weird. about it indirectly. Yeah, he told me about it indirectly. <laughs> That's fun. That's cool. Hmm. So, 
were you at Power Week? Oh yeah, I went to several Power Weeks. When, Actually, when, I stayed over at Ed's house a few week, times, and I immediately said Power Week. <laughs> it just sounds like something that'd be like I'm from Kentucky, and so when we hear things like Power Week, it's always like a monster truck pull or something like that. <laughs> sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> kind what of kind of the mentality Power that Week like for you. Mm-hmm. Um, the first several that I went to were fantastic because I was part of the outer order and didn't really mingle with the inner order stuff at all. Yeah. yeah. And then once I got into uh, portal and five, six, it power week started kind of going downhill. Because <laughs> well, <laughs> then you start. The, I'll avoid portal and five, six. <laughs> so, like I told Edward, I'm totally fine in Venus right now. I'll stay here for this particular incarnation and we'll talk later. Well, in that in that order, it was more just the drama that happened because of the hierarchy. Yeah. Um, and it was, the hierarchy there was unfortunately toxic. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you know, and the, the one good thing that I'll say about the head at the time was that he was very good at surrounding himself with wonderful people, mm. which provided a buffer. Um, and so... There's people like, you know, Ed, for example, who has always been just an amazing person. Oh, thank you. But, <laughs> you know. I stole his outfit. See? It's not brown. Oh, it's blue. It's blue. Oh, yeah. yeah. His brown robe. Yeah. <laughs> he always had that stupid brown robe. This is for the people who have a recurring nightmare of going into the to the sanctum sanctorum within their own hearts and opening the inner pastos and finding Robert Zink there. Uh, so they, they can have another person with the same outfit to maybe kind of like show that it's it's not the face, it's oh. the outfit, it's the uniform. Kind of replace it with a good memory. Yeah. yeah. Yep. There you go. It seems like as a as a psychologist, it seems like a lot of the experiences um involving both occult stuff and psychedelics triggers part of the brain that's related to uh imprinting in infancy and in a toddlerhood like we um we stop imprinting after a certain age when we're no longer children i mean having that really deep visceral memory of things Mm. um and psychedelics help people have those traumatic experiences is another thing that help that causes i mean ptsd is basically these really hard imprints from a traumatic experience um making love you know falling in love that's definitely an imprint scenario that like it pretty much triggers all this um very primal attachment schema in the brain you know Mm. i'm an educated kid what can i say (laughs) well if you if you look at some of those studies that they've been doing over in uh, england primarily but i think there's been some in france and germany as well on psilocybin, one of the things that they're discovering is that it helps the brain create new pathways, uh, which is something that it's not very good at doing. So it actually gets people out of ruts that are caused by things like PTSD. And they're starting to discover that it can actually cure PTSD and yeah. uh, things like that because it Some gets you out of that. Some serious medical universities are doing this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Crazy stuff. Yeah. Wonderful, what, crazy stuff. And what I've been thinking lately is the kind of feeling of collective death that a lot of people are experiencing, um, whether they 
know consciously or unconsciously kind of about the the apocalypse timeline that's very real according to jpl environmental science <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. but there's a sort of collective mourning and I, I think that psychedelics could could really be important for people in kind of dealing with with that you know and kind of finding a sense of transcendence or a um a connection to the all that is you know yeah do you yeah. use uh your psychedelics in your work i know it's been important in mine i don't know okay. um i'm not opposed to it in any way i just haven't uh maybe at some point yeah, personally, I usually don't combine the two so directly, but, um, you know, they kind of end up touching each other, you know, uh, even if I do mushrooms over here and I do ritual magic over here, just, you know, the interplay between them has produced poetry and things like that. When I was young, back when I knew you the first time, probably 98, I, uh, I took LSD and spent the night in my temple. And what I discovered was it was sort of pointless. I mean, I went through a huh. process for sure. Hey, brother, we got one more. Uh, it looks like he's still coming in. All right. Welcome. We'll have to locate him in the uh, <laughs> in the uh, algorithm machine. Yeah, we got a full Beatles. I'll be Ringo. You guys can fight over the other three. <laughs> have you guys seen the uh footage no we haven't yet oh, i want to it's like it's it's sad on one hand because it's, you're watching a breakup in real time oh yeah but it's it's beautiful being on the inside of the genius that when they actually got together the four of them was so much stronger than any one of them as an individual mm, you know? absolutely i mean they were an egregore you know for all practical purposes are we talking yeah. about us or are we talking about the Beatles? Both. The Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Both. And, and our, our fellowship invoking the Beatles. <laughs> Love it. Yay. We, 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 we were talking Yay. about the use of psychedelics uh, in, uh, in one's occult work. Yeah, you don't want to do that if you're following anyone. <laughs> Interesting. Following like, yeah. like, on the street or or as a guru as a you don't want to do if you're like have a person in your life that needs you to follow their word oh right yeah oh yeah. you mean like the authoritarian thing yeah yeah you end yeah, up on your own path. totally yeah you, you end up on your own path even if you didn't mean to yeah yeah i can see that yeah yeah that's that's for sure because yeah one of the things that it would always kind of like what what can a earth banishing pentagram do against you know the total dissolution of reality into you know something else <laughs> how are you going to keep them down on the farm once they've seen carl hung us yeah but like, I, I i do hmm? i do find golden dawn magic on lsd to be particularly amazing though oh good oh yeah i i never really had much success with it but i'm glad oh god mm. Yeah, a lot of success for me. I, I started taking acid and doing pentagram and hexagram rituals and watchtower stuff at 16. Oh, cool. And uh, wow. like changed the trajectory of my life because all that stuff called auras and all that stuff that was subtle, I could see. So it was like, 
whoa, this is what drawing the pentagram does. This is what calling an archangel does. This is what it's like on these, you know, more mm. deeper states of uh, when the perceptual filter is taken away. So that was really cool. Very cool. Yeah. Maybe the mistake I made was waiting until I was a proctor because then, then I had a lot of double think about, should I be doing this? Is this bad? What would they say at the temple if they saw me doing this? So it's, yeah, if I had maybe done that at 16, instead of joining the Golden Dawn, that might've been a <laughs> good way to go. <laughs> and uh, those are most certainly blocks to yeah. the solution, yeah. right? Whether you're on acid right. or not, yeah. Absolutely, whether yeah. you're on acid or not, you know? Yeah. Best way to keep people in line is to keep them guilty, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I'll show you. I'll show you my altar real fast. Um, Ooh, I have my own sort of hillbilly version, hillbilly version of Golden Dawn stuff. Um, uh, so I have my my garden over there, and here's some sweet potatoes I've been harvesting. Um, and uh, you walk out. Now those are some fire. sweet altars. Yeah, there's a there's a fire pit here. Um, we're kind of on a fire nice. watch right now in Southern California, so don't have anything burning in it. Here we are in Sagittarius. Um, and uh, it really does look cool when there's a fire in there, and uh, especially if you're on psychedelics, because you have the microcosm in the middle, and all the stumps are on the outside are marked with the uh, planetary sigils. So you have the macro. And you got the colors on the outside. Yes, and I have the uh, the colors thanks to a uh, very honored Ed, as I used to call him. <laughs> I I've always thought Golden Dawn color theory to be particularly marvelous. Mm. Yeah, it's it's Pythagorean. I mean, it, it's real. It's it's a real pattern. Uh, if anything else, it's a beautiful algorithm machine. Holy, I love that phrase. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and and with uh, the Isaac Newton is kind of one place where the old alchemy and the new science overlap in one human being. And uh, he was the guy who insisted that there were he saw seven colors coming out of the prism. Because you got to have indigo, otherwise you don't have the seven planets. So it's kind of nice to be able to kind of see that in there. Going, okay, I see you winking at me across the pages. <laughs> I'm, just, yeah. I'm just fascinated by by the, the way that music overlays it, because you have mm. seven chromatic tones. Uh, the octave is seven plus one, you know, mm. the return note, and then you have the twelve in the chromatic scale. Uh, you know, you have the pentad, you have the triad, and um, the original Pythagorean schools, you know, taught music, math, and uh, astrology, I guess. Hmm. And I, I came into it that way. I was a jaded ex-seminarian, and I was really grokking on the correspondences via Pythagoras. And then I met... Um, what does a jaded ex-seminarian look like? Like, do you hang out by the back door smoking cigarettes with the other jaded seminarians? Or well, like... Well, no, he's like making fun of the other ones. There's, like there's two things serious. that there's two things that result from being a jaded ex seminarian. One of them was psilocybin Sundays. Mm, that's Ooh. pretty cool. <laughs> like Sunday, like like chocolate Sunday, or Sunday like no. the day Sunday, or are we talking both? It's church Thank plus mushrooms. It's both. <laughs> it's definitely both. And uh, and a, a couple of us that were taking this neurology course at the same time in the psych program. Uh, we were studying like the Gnostic rituals and and they were using, you know, variations of mushrooms uh, in their beverages um, and, you know, cannabis, which they used in the Holy of Holies, they got from the Scythians. Um, and uh, 
and actually, I think opium was uh, was usually an ingredient in soma, but I don't, I don't think I think that was more in Persia. But um, mm -hmm. so we started doing it. We started going to this Episcopalian church, and it's like an old school high church Episcopalian. You know, it looks like Harry Potter and stuff. <laughs> and um, holy crap, hearing that choir in that conch shell of a building on mm. mushrooms and seeing the sun come through the stained glass. Wow. It's the way the Gnostics did it, you know? Mm -hmm. You that's a party. Yeah, that's a party. You end up partying with your ancestors because that's the vision mm. I kept having. One of the most profound hallucination visions I had. I was holding the uh, liturgy sheet, you know, that everybody reads from when they say, peace be unto you and thanks be unto God and and all that stuff. And the I saw stuff. the I saw the words crawling across the letters crawling across the page like little insects and going into my veins. Oh, and wow. like the literally was going into my bloodstream and it was like the logos, right? Whoa. And and then I had this kind of like revelation about, you know, uh the, the other side of the veil and the wheel that turns uh and and there's half the people on this side that are like here and half the people there the church the church beyond or the church visible and the church invisible but the wheel is mm. kind of rotating between them and and the rituals are, are how we fellowship with those on the other side you know wow. was, at the time i was you know dealing with a lot of death you know just like last year and and it was a very therapeutic experience i've got to say um mm. so that's one angle from the jaded seminarian uh, i ended up calling that gonzo theology i have a a youtube page that i want to follow my shenanigans but the other one was kind of this intense form of activism you mm -hmm. know uh you know i i ended up you know meeting a lot of anarchists you know and catholic workers and and then um and getting involved in kind of the 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 hard left here in southern california you know anti-fascist probably um, well, sometimes you're the you only mean the one. real fascists. I'm just when, kidding. When the when the Trumps <laughs> when the when the Trumpies have a, a rally, this guy shows up wearing all black with his Antifa flag by himself, and just stands there looking at them until they they come up well, and they're do. like, "Should I punch you well, or should I?" And then he engages I, them in discourse. I had a I had a crowbar in my pants just in case. <laughs> but I'll tell the, There's the, a joke the, in there somewhere. Here, no, that was true. A few. I was being literal. Um, uh, I'm I'm a, I'm from Kentucky, so I'm very much a Second Amendment leftist. Um, but um, it, when I when I got done with seminary, I guess I was just a conventional Democrat, you know, Democratic Socialist maybe. Um, around the time of Occupy, that's when I became more of a definitely a socialist and. And after Trump got elected, I just went full on Marxist, Leninist, Maoist. There was <laughs> a Stalin minute there too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I still, you know, have my Stalinistic moments, but um, um, so we all do. It's okay. So, so Trump had just gotten elected, right? I mean, can you guys remember where you were the moment yeah. you heard on the TV? Oh, radio? I remember the exact moment. Yeah. Like, I'm curious. Tell yeah, me I, was, I was sitting in front of the television and then I went to the bathroom to throw up. I had gone to Disneyland uh, to try to keep my mind off of the election 
And uh, and I heard overheard people at Disneyland. They were happy Trump was winning. And that was that was still the transition uh, time for me because Orange County is the Florida. of Oh, California. right. Yeah. I didn't realize I thought <laughs> I thought that, you know, I think like a lot of people during the Obama times, uh, you know, I didn't live in I did, haven't spent a lot of time in the South. I did go to uh, uh, in Missouri at one point. And then I kind of saw like, oh my God, what is this? You know, just being <laughs> being surrounded by people saying all kinds of things I wouldn't say in polite society. Massive you know, Jesus and, billboards every 50 feet on the freeway. Yeah, and, and a whole lot of racism and a big old Confederate flag there with the American flag at the airport. You know, I was so like, what is this? You what know, you're like, seeing is more America. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I didn't yeah. even realize, I mean, I didn't have that in my head that that existed. So I was seeing the the Trump supporters as a as the fringe weirdos. I think like a lot of people were back then, and so that day at Disneyland, overhearing people who were so you know happy to that he was winning, and so I was on my way home in the car, and I googled you know pulled up on Google and saw he was the projected winner, and fuck, oh man, what a weird, what a weird time. I mean, yeah, now I'm in India and I think that, you know, the, the two, the two <laughs> events are very connected, you know, like, wow, <laughs> getting, oh, you know, the, the poll to, I mean, I always <clears throat> wanted to come to this part of the world, but then Trump being the president of my country kind of like, was like, okay, I have nothing, nothing to stay for, you know? Um, I mean, I can I mean, talk the to you guys. Up, the, one, the one upside <laughs> about him getting elected is he was so pugnaciously bold about his his opinions that a lot of the activists, yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of the activists that were just kind of like, kind of like blitting into the wallpaper were like, "Fuck this, game on! I can mm. do that too," you know. Mm. And so, right after they passed the Christmas tax bill with Steven Mnuchin, um, I yeah. was doing a winter solstice ritual at a Golden Dawn temple in Altadena. Altadena has a long occult history, um, you know, with JPL scientists and all kinds of weird stuff. Mm. Um, but, so we're in this Golden Dawn Temple, and I prepared a pot of soma. And you mean was, soma, it, soma? Yeah, more or less. You know, it was my version. Um, there was a lot right. of psilocybin mushrooms, uh, cannabis oil from the plant I'd grown, <clears throat> or just like cannabis butter from the plant I'd grown, and then apples, the spiced apple cider. And it was a warm bit on the stove, and it was so good. Um, and we all drank some of that before going into the temple. And um, processing it afterwards, I was talking to one of the guys who's in like a local psych rock band. And, and, and we're all talking about kind of the intention that we went in with. And one of my intentions was social justice related to Jesus going into the temple and chasing out the money changers. And thinking about how the Christmas tax bill that Mnuchin and Trump uh, created was just a complete giveaway to the rich assholes and a takeaway from, you know, the poor, Everyone the widow, and the, yeah. and the orphan, and the immigrant, and everybody that Jesus said, this is what you're actually supposed to be focusing on. I mean, the sheep and the goats parable. You know, as much as you've done in the least of these, you've done in the me. Uh, visiting in prison, food to the hungry, uh, uh, you know, welcoming to a stranger. And uh, I mean, all the stuff that is the exact opposite of Trump, like Trump mm. by the most fundamentalist, literal Christian standards is the antichrist. He is the mm. Lord of Mammon. 
he shits in a gold toilet, you know? Mm, mm. So I, I, I have a request, if that's okay. What's that? Could we keep our discussions of that person specifically to a minimum? I don't mind talking about the events around that person, yeah. talking yeah. about that person specifically. Yeah. See, so, people like that tend to be attention magnets. Right, right, right. right. Spend the next hour just okay. talking about how much we hate this person. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I'm going to wrap this up. But this was about Mnuchin anyway. In two minutes. Yeah, that, that's a good point. That is a very good point. He's gotten into all of our heads longer than he should have. Um, but so I'm processing this with my friend. What do I want to do with the energy of Saturn and to really strike a blow to the center of power, the Lords of Mammon? And this gift, this tax bill had just gotten passed. And we're all talking about our signs. Like, um, you know, just like, uh, you know, at, at my altar here, I, I like to, uh, when I'm doing work with people, I like to find out where they are in the cosmic clock here, you know? The microcosm on the inside. The is that an iron cauldron, cauldron you have in the middle? Uh, it's a fire pit. Okay. But cool. then I have the right I have the planets around the outside, and so um, it, as it turned out, I was like, okay, I'm a Capricorn, so you know I'm ruled by Saturn, and and Saturnalia and winter solstice is is a thing, you know, and it's it's also historically it was uh, it was a time when the commoners gave the uh, the barons the finger you know mm. um and so it came up on me to do the alchemical work of negredo and being from kentucky the closest place i could find to negredo was my friend's horse horse barn and so i filled a big box <coughs> full of horse manure just beneath the amount of horse manure that would be considered dangerous because it could be used to make fertilizer bombs mm. and i wrapped it in christmas paper with a card that said, Dear Mr. Mnuchin and Trump, uh, we are returning the gift of the Christmas tax bill, complete notar horseshit, signed the American people. And and I found out where he lived, where Mnuchin lived, because he has two <laughs> houses up here, one in Bel Air and one in Beverly Hills. And it did I did book two boxes. And so I drop them off. And and I'm just amped up because it, you know, in my heart, my mind, I'm like doing the work of the Lord. I'm like I'm like Samson, the, the Ebionite, you know, pushing the, the pillars over, you know, of the Philistines and whatnot. And um, um, I come back home and I turn on the TV. <laughs> There's helicopters circling his, his mansion in Bel Air and this whole squad of Secret Service agents crawling around on their hands and knees in a pile of dirt. <laughs> <laughs> But you, but know, you took credit. Uh, you called up and yeah, said, hey, they, by the way, I did it. Yeah. I, I wanted to get ahead of the narrative, you know? Mm. I, I'm like, I'm not going to do something that risky and waste a fucking platform, you know? Yeah. Um, and so so I got, I, I got, you know, kind of a, it gave me kind of a platform to really throw my voice out there. And it's like, wow, that ritual really, really fucking worked. I mean, mm. my, I mean, Gosh, so much happened after that. What, what was you guys' life like? Well, okay, never mind. Trump, you, I mean, see, there I go. Uh, he, he, he shall not be named. Edward, I'll let you take it from here. Darth so we Cheeto. don't like any more attention. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, no, I mean, I love your story. So I was going to ask you about that one. And there's two more. Um, okay. I love telling them. There's, uh, 
I don't know which one, which one first. Okay, how about Psilocybin Sunday, the American Evangelical one? <laughs> okay. I grew up in Paducah, Kentucky. My dad is a Pentecostal preacher. So culturally, that's kind of my background. And uh, theologically, I couldn't be any further from that. Although methodologically, I mean, that's kind of what Gonzo theology of, is about, throwing yourself headfirst into these relatively Pentecostal experiences, losing all sense of shame and just seeing what happens. In, oh, in that's a way, beautiful. it's almost <clears throat> like an act of, it's, it's an act of psychomagic or, or a political theater, you know. Um, and uh, so one of, the, one of the institutions of mammon that always bothered me the most is Trinity Broadcasting Network. It's a televangelist that would cater to all these shut-ins and their trailers all over the Ballard County, and they have nothing to do but sit there and watch these preachers, and they end up sending their welfare, their social security check to this dumbass who already has three private jets, you know? Mm. And um, so I was like, well, how, how can I speak to that? And I kind of do some thinking and meditating and praying and asking the Lord, and you know, channeling Mars a little bit, and uh, my good, my good buddy Samuel, and um, and uh, it came to me to go to a live taping of Trinity Broadcasting Network in Orange County, where the Joel Olstein was no, not Joel Olstein, um, my favorite preacher. Yeah, Joel Olstein. He was there live with the son of the founder of Trinity Broadcasting Network. Just this squeeze bag used car salesman of a televangelist right and so i i put on this shirt that says jesus versus mammon a t-shirt but i put a dress shirt over it and um i don't know why i felt like i needed to but i did mushrooms before going into just because i i i just felt like it was kind of yeah yeah it was kind of in keeping with my yeah my uh way of doing uh gonzo theology and um, I was able to speak in that sort of cultural language when I got to the door and the lady with the clipboard is like, what church are you from, son? And I'm like, well, I don't really go to a church out here, but I'm with my uh, friend here. He's a, he's a pastor at uh, Lighthouse Assembly of God. And I grew up in church, but, you know, I'm just kind of hanging out with him today. And she's like, well, bless your heart. I hope you come back to Jesus. And she lets me in, you know. And I was with this philosophy professor friend of mine who, who also does psilocybin Sundays. Um, and uh, in my writings, he's just the professor. And uh, he was my getaway driver. But like during a key moment, right, when Joe Olstein was marching out to the, uh, to the uh, live uh, game show music sort of lights and things, I, I stood up, ripped off my shirt, and I had Jesus versus women, and they begin preaching hellfire and brimstone like Jesus in the temple who threw out the money changers and smashed their shit. And until security drugged me out, kicking and screaming. It was glorious. Well, what did you say? Oh, well, I, I um, he pointed to a sign out the door when he was dragging me out that said, uh, interrupting religious service is a misdemeanor in oh, Orange right, County. Right. But I mean, what did you, you know? shout to Joel? Oh, to Joel Olstein. Yeah. 
you know what? I completely went off script. I had this other thing prepared, and I just, I, I, I started yelling that old women around the country are sending you their social security checks. You're a con artist. You know, you cannot serve both God and mammon. Mm. And, you know, and uh, whitewash sepulcher and the whole works. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It felt good. Mm. <laughs> then the other one, of course, was how did you end up in jail, brother? Oh, man, that's just, uh, you know, it's about that's just a beautiful story. I mean, you know, just this beautiful story of standing up for what's right. That one was not on, per yeah. Like last 2020 was just brutal. oh no like, you've been more than once yeah I, I I meant the one where you uh where you were driving and you turned around and then they oh, tried yeah, to get yeah. you for making an illegal U-turn when you were trying to save yeah. a man's life from the police. Well, I I went out there just to get get out of the city because like I'd been like shot up with rubber bullets and just you know it was getting really aggressive and some of the fascist Proud Boys were starting to target some of the fascists at home that were starting to target some of the anti-fascists at home. And and so like I'm having to really like talk. Not to mention you know, Secret Service coming to your place of employment and your house. Yeah, no, that That's was a good story. Mm. That uh, just with, started with happening Ser when he did the Mnuchin thing and never stopped. Yeah. Well, no, it stopped. I think. Oh, okay. Um, You're still on a list for sure, though. They'll be watching this. Yeah. Hi, Secret Service. Uh, I can't buy any <laughs> firearms. Great. Now I'm going to be on a list again. <laughs> Um, there's actually a power week I couldn't go to because I was on a list. Oh no, power week! <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to what that kind of story. Were I you want to know how you got on a list. <laughs> yeah, how did you get on a list? So I've got a degree in comparative religion. Hmm. Part of getting a degree in comparative religion is taking classes about multiple religions. So 9-11 happened. And I was already signed up for a independent study course in Islam. So I took my independent study course in Islam and got put on the terrorist watch list oh. for so studying signing Islam. signing up for a freaking course? Yeah. Mm. It was part of my degree. Oh. <laughs> and I didn't find out about it until um, a couple years later. How did you because find out? I was working at a locksmith. Um, and in order to be a locksmith, you have to have this like, huge security background check done because they're teaching you how to break into people's houses. Yeah. And the local background check came through just fine and the state background check came through just fine. And then it got to the federal background check and the Department of Homeland Security called my boss and said, no, we're not gonna let this guy uh, this, this can't pass because he's on a uh, terrorist watch list. Oh my god! And thankfully, Wait, what year was that? Uh, two thousand two. Okay. Um, thankfully, my boss had a higher clearance than the guy he was talking to <laughs> at the Department of Homeland Security, so immediately asked for his boss and said. Uh, ex explained the whole situation about how I, um, the whole thing came about because I was taking a course on, on Islam and everything because he knew my background. And he's like, look, I've been working with this guy forever. Fine. 
refused to push it through. Eventually, they pushed through it. Part of that, I got taken off of the watch list. Oh, that's good. Uh, but getting getting taken off of the watch list took a little while um, because in 2002 is also when I the Power Week that I went to, or I wanted to go. Power to. Week. And I get to come through here. I'm like, why not? And they're like, nope. Computer says no. <laughs> Oh and they God. wouldn't give me any kind of reason. They're just like, nope, you can't come through. You've been flagged. You, you can't fly. Uh, oh, my gosh. That's ridiculous. <laughs> oh. So you missed. Yeah, what exactly happened in the week of 2002? <laughs> but no, crazy stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, brother, silence, real quick. Could, could you tell us what happened when uh, when you told the cop not to shoot the young man in uh, San Bernardino? Oh yeah, I was. It was the summer of 2020, and I was all torn up, you know, from all the, you know, anti-fascist, you know, punch-outs of the Proud Boys and the Black Lives Matter protests and eating rubber bullets and stuff. And so I'm going to go out to my favorite spot in Yeshua Tree. Uh, this beautiful desert uh, we have in Southern California. If you've ever get the chance, it's 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 a wonderful place to camp and look at the sky, and it's a wonderful place to trip. I like to sleep in a certain cave when I go there. But I go there when I go there. I, you know, I get down to business. I like, you know, I fast and pray. You know, for a good period of time, and I try to spend at least 24 hours in one spot in a cave and just kind of watching the way the light changes over the course of the day and. And, you know, mushrooms and, uh, you know, lots of good conversations with my ancestors, like Uncle Captain Billy. That's a whole other story. Um, so, so I'm going out there pretty much for therapeutic purposes. I'm not out there to, to get in any trouble. And I go into town the day after I'm done, and I'd had a wonderful vision quest. And I'm going to get some coffee at this joint. And, I, and I'm driving out of town, heading out 29 Palms Highway. And, and I see this uh, little black hipster boy and he's, he's kind of queer looking and uh, he's holding this drum and he's, he, he's, he's beating a drum with one hand and holding this parchment with the other and reciting this poem. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of a burning man guy. And, you know, when I see performance art, I'm like, yeah, do it brother. Um, and so I'm kind of looking at him as I'm driving and thinking, well, should, maybe I should go, go around there and check it out. And all of a sudden, three cop cars pulled up on that kid like he was John Don, like he was a John Dillinger. Mm. And, and I had, I mean, and I'd been in, involved in some protests where I saw some really brutal police brutality and literally having to like, out of the way to, to pull a, and free and that's how i got shot with a rubber bullet um, because they were just clobbering and i'm like fuck no and um i went to, to push him out of the way and yank her free and that's how i got shot in the chest but um but so i i'd flip a u-turn and i'm like hell no i'm not gonna watch another goddamn murder uh you know everybody that saw those videos got traumatized for good reason too because that's just been happening for a long time the KKK has been actively infiltrating the uh, police force and the U.S. military for years now. It's documented now. Um, 
and uh growing up in kentucky you know i saw that shit firsthand and um so i pull up and i roll down my window and i just smoked a bowl too like i i was, got my coffee and smoked a bowl and enjoyed driving home Bob Dylan. oh no here we go again and so i, I yell out the window don't shoot that boy you, you know you're not going to shoot this boy on my I'm filming this you know blah 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 i forget what all that um and when a big steroided up sheriff's comes stomping over what do you say to me boy and yanks me out of the car like there's this weird twist thing you know that they do and and the car and there was the in dark singing the jailhouse songs and uh they let me go without my laces and then I walked a mile back to the desert just to get to a payphone because the phone was dead. <laughs> mm. And that was my experience with the San Bernardino Sheriffs. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, I live in Minneapolis. Um, the, the George Floyd oh, murder oh. actually happened in my neighborhood. Holy oh, shit. Um, the, the, the cup food there's a good chance that I've probably met him at some point, just in passing. Uh, so yeah, the the riots here, uh, more central uh, Minneapolis from there. Well, were you out there on the street? Uh, for a little bit, yes. And then we got some intelligence that white supremacists were trying to burn down our neighborhood. So from that point on, I was staying uh, keeping watch over the neighborhood. We had 24 hour ships going, uh, scaring away Ku Klux Klan, three percenters, Proud Boys, Boogaloo Brothers. Did all, any of them all just keeping them out of, oh yeah. We, we ran a number of uh, cars and trucks out of there. There was one car that they found that had seven uh, Molotov cocktails in the back of it with no plates. God bless you. I'm glad you're okay. And I'm glad you're safe. So yeah, it was it was crazy time. Oh man! And it was the biggest thing that I saw that was just infuriating was these extraordinary peaceful protests of people just gathering and the police just lighting them up. You know, we'd be there, everybody, you know, just being present to show solidarity and stuff, and then the tear gas would start going, and then the rubber bullets would start flying. It was just insane. Yeah. Um, and there was like, there was one guy that actually caught uh, the police department slashing tires of people that were at protests during the day. So they had, they had the curfews in place and about half an hour, 15 minutes before the curfews would go out, he would go out and start slashing people's tires so that they had to be out past curfew so that they could then arrest them for being out past curfew. Shit. And they, they caught the guy? Um, the, the way he got caught, the article that I read was uh, basically somebody, I think he was from internal affairs from a department in Indiana huh. who had caught it and wrote an article about it. And I think basically they, they all got reported to IA. So, but it's caught. So, so I... I, I have a friend in San Francisco during a protest out there, out in, uh, actually, not San Francisco, I'm sorry, up in Seattle. She was at a protest in Seattle, 
And uh, I saw her while she was on her camera because I was here at home. I was watching feeds of people that were giving live feeds of this material. On her live feed, it showed her going to her car and showing cops slashing her tires. Mm. They're doing it in Seattle. Like too. it was on the live feed. And she goes up and she's like, she starts talking with them, like, like, and she's starting to have a panic attack and dealing with them. And um, it was just, you know, it, it, it kind of, people's perspective all comes down to evidence. And so it's so important that we're sharing people's firsthand evidence, mm. witnesses that were there, because yeah. what voice do witnesses have? It's like they don't have much of a voice. And so these things are so important. So I'm so happy that this mm. gathering is happening and people are telling their firsthand stories of what encounters the police are and the KKK and these other right-wing extremist organizations that do have power, and they have had power for a long time in our country, since the mm. beginning. Mm. So it's not like this is new. Yeah. Right? We're just mm. uncovering what's here. Yeah. And then they're spinning and so that was it. the function of Trump. Right? Yeah. 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 In, in, a, in a weird way, yeah, it, it, I mean, apocalypse doesn't just mean chaos, it means unveiling and means in unveiling. Way, he, he ripped the curtain back mm. right. yeah thank you today to the pastor to the lutheran pastor of the church of uh saints and sinners in colorado for saying that i saw her talk which says just that apocalypse is the pulling away of the veil just as you said mm. eli right and so i think it's important that perspective the perspective we take although all these things are happening it's like we have to take a step back and say okay what's happening on a more longer term platform here you know i have people that come to me through social media i've had this happen three times over the last five years where a person will message me and say hey you're white you're privileged you're a man what are you doing with it i don't think you're doing enough and they start guilting me they'll start getting upset they'll, tell, they'll start swearing at me and they're unloading their anger at me it's like, so what I have to do as a white person is I have to sit back and wonder, well, am I doing enough? And there's no other person I can ask other than my black allies or my brown allies yeah. or my friends. Hey, am I doing enough? And I get feedback from them, talk with them, be like, okay, I'm having this experience. What do I do? And so then the idea of real allyship comes up and that comes up in personal friendship, right? And building these networks of personal friendship. So the first idea is telling stories raising awareness. And the second is not raising awareness, but what comes after raising awareness, building networks, building social networks. And here's like a, a long-term plan that works. Mm -hmm. We want to think longer term plan with our building of friendships. Yeah. Right. So anyway, I, I didn't want to step in. Oh, no, sure. no. I love it. Okay. Yeah. 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 What, what, what do you feel? I mean, um, what do you visualize some of those networks looking like, like, once the dust settles a little bit on this transition from Pisces to Aquarius? Well, first thoughts in my head is, well, since we're talking about politics and KKK and these things, these issues happening in the United States is we have to look to our black brothers and sisters, our brown brothers and sisters and see what they've been doing for decades upon decades upon decades. Right. And see what they've been doing, what their views are, ask them questions. 
you know, like Black Panthers in the United States. Like we just had that movie that just yeah, came out crazy, about yeah. Fred Hampton and Fred Hampton Jr. And it's like, we look at those organizations. We say, how are they living today? Because they are those networks of relationships living today. They most certainly are. Yeah. I am... And how are they strong? Why are they strong? Because why? Trust, fidelity, friendship, personal, personal intimacy, right? Yeah. These are the things that KKK does not have. Mm. Right. These are the things that these organizations that are fascist do not have, which is hard. Hmm. Another another place to look um, where I've had a little bit more success in finding information, at least, because a lot of the information on uh, like the the early years of the Black Panthers is hard to get your hands on, is look at a lot of the anarchist stuff look at the anarchist community networks because they exist all throughout the country, uh, all throughout the world, and they have for centuries. Um, I mean, if you go back to uh, World War II, a lot of the anti-fascist movements at the time were formed around these same types of community networks. And a lot of times the way they've started is we'll start with like one or two people in an area who have similar ideas and then it'll grow a little bit more from there and then it seems like for most of these groups about 13 or 14 tends to be the the max so when they start getting too much bigger than that they'll split off into two different groups yeah it's like an the witch's coven isn't it huh? <laughs> i think there's a <laughs> there. mm. um, <sighs> 12 um, disciples is one two you have, then you'll have two groups that are support, self sustaining but also connected to each other mm. and then when those groups get bigger they'll split and now you've got four groups that are all connected to each other that can all help connect everything else and so you, you end up with these wonderful um, networks that are all designed around the idea of mutual aid right yeah. so what we see here is is mutual aid combined with pol- political work which comes from working together multi-generationally not just what can i accomplish in my life but what can we we do together for the next generation right to carry forward right and then we have spirituality mixed in here too Mm. that's where like ways of yeah ways of coming together you know and i'm talking about like the the traditions that come from uh these places like uh Kimbanda, Umbanda, Katamble, like these traditions that are, are more from the disenfranchised and help mm-hmm. people come together, find community together, and basically praise God together in, in a way that's connected with what they feel to be true and, uh, and uh, helps forward a sense of identity, right? That's not been lost, well, been was... even reforged, right? Yeah. When I when I was camp I was camping out with a group of anarchists um, uh, beside the county, the L.A. County Jail and ICE Detention Center, and we and I didn't camp out there every night, but we try to like get everybody kind of uh, rotating so there was always people on the ground, and we had like a, a food station like we're feeding all the other unhoused folks that are camping in the neighborhood and and um, and being a presence, we successfully blocked off half of the 
exit ways, got arrested a couple of times with a, with a, a cool local Episcopalian priest. Um, but uh, these kids, these young folks, I said, I'm, I'm about turned 50. So uh, a lot of the folks I work with are way younger, you know, and, and some of these young folks had been to Standing Rock and, um, and the experiences that they described from being out there were so profound. And they would sometimes lead us in some of the ceremonies that they used to do that was based on Native American rituals. And um, some of the Chumash people that were part of the uh, American Indian movement were part of this as well. And they would kind of lead sometimes. And, and um, they would start every meeting. You were on uh, Chumash soil. Um, actually, it's Tongva. You're on Tongva soil. <laughs> and, and then they would do like this invocation um, it was one of the things that really kind of helped me keep my humanity amidst all the anger and chaos of that year. It's mm. uh, a very powerful statement. Mm. What I'm seeing when I look through, you know, the, the, the not so magic glowing screen mirror of the universe, um, it, it, looking whether I'm looking at yoga communities, new age communities, occult communities, thalamic communities, traditional golden dawn communities, I find either a total avoidance of anything political or, uh, or they lean toward the right. And I think it's, they, they've, they, we were talking about lazy, lazy connections. Like uh, someone can say, well, I'm in the golden dawn and we're kind of patriarchal and hierarchical and traditional. And those are three buzzwords that apply also to the GOP. So, you know, I guess I'll vote GOP. And then, the, the, I mean, that's one level, like the lukewarm gravitate toward that. And then they become uh, KKK adjacent. There's like the KKK, so, the neo-Nazis. So lazy connections. The, yeah. Lazy connections is lazy logic. Essentially. Yeah, yeah, and mm -hmm. uh, okay. a, a lazy reason. Bias. I, I mean, a, a cognitive bias toward um, peace and not stress, which is the big thing. You know, like get rid of right. anything toxic, and and so so if you're in a bubble, if you're creating a bubble or a circle, an LBRP, if you will, or whatever, and you're saying I am sovereign. You know, there's that word that gets thrown into the mix. I am uh, I am the master of my world. Therefore, I guess I'm a libertarian, you know, I mean, and so the, like I said, lazy connections where things just sort of seem to resemble what they think that they're leaning toward. And I think that people, uh, because they know that if they were to lean that way, then they would be going against their five friends over here. Um, and I mean, by, by if, they, if they were to go left, if they were to go activist, if they were to start thinking, well, now maybe we should like think about uh, the, 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 the systemic issues, then they would be going against their 10 best friends over here or everyone else in their coven or, or, or temple. And they would be giving themselves stress instead of giving themselves peace. But I think that there might be at least one listener. And if there's one, then that's, that's enough. I mean, that's worth it, that then this was all worth it. If there's one person who just sort of kind of leans that way, but a little voice is saying, like there might be one or two people out there that, that kind of lean, they go along with their conservative friends because they don't want to, uh, you know, make waves or they don't want to like upset people or whatever. And, uh, okay, and here's, here, here's the thing. Hmm. Could we then ask ourselves a question here? Yeah. What is a cult and what is an order? 
right? The word cult has a negative connotation to it. The word cult has this idea that it's something that you follow mindlessly. And the idea of an order is it's a group of people that think for themselves and are able to bring logic and creative, you know, critical reasoning to the table and be able to address things in a way, work them out because we're, hey, we're all adults here, right? So that's my definition of an order and a call. Talk about the different what I'm in a cult just because I like to. The, the, the cult I'm in, though, everybody can bring anything that's a problem to the table. Hmm. And yeah. uh, so we talk about because we're all adults here. But mm-hmm. anyway. I like to think of cult as being a petri dish of culture. You know, it's kind of the root word of culture. And so a cult is, is, is a group that's kind of a looking at reality through a different reality tunnel to use the Robert Anton Wilson, you know, thing. Uh, um, and, and, and in a way, Marxist Leninism is, is almost, uh, it's so, it's so radically, it's such a radically different way of thinking culturally. As I've been hanging out with my Black Panther brothers, I, I didn't realize how, that most of the original Black Panthers were explicitly Marxist Leninist Maoists. And, um, and even some of the White Panthers, like, uh, High Thurman and, that rock band MC5, their uh, manager was one of the White Panthers. They were like basically white allies of the Black Panthers. And those are kind of my homies. Um, but it's it's um it's almost felt like a replacement for church in a weird way. I mean, somebody could possibly say that's not entirely healthy. You know, I grew up in church and and you know it was it's very authoritarian on one level but also incredibly democratic on the other because anybody could walk up to the podium and say hey this is what's on my heart today you know almost like a quicker meeting and so like when i when i'm sitting with those guys and and we're, we're talking there is that kind of like shared vulnerability of like that that builds kind of the trust and when you're really in the trenches with somebody you you got to have that shared vulnerability and it feels like almost more like, um, yeah, it's, it's, there is really is a deep spiritual component. My ancestor that I'm writing a book about was part of a similar group called, at the start of the Civil War. And they were Quakers who gave up pacifism for Lent because <laughs> they were part of the Underground Railroad and they were able to find thus far without shedding any blood. But because they had to, uh, to uh, free some people from a brothel that was fairly well armed, that's kind of how they started getting shooty, and and that they they kind of became uh, vigilantes after that. Is prior, and they, they were like liberating mansions before the war even started, and turning it over, you know, uh, uh, to uh, the workers, you know, uh, to kind of uh, to fill the old anarchist uh, seize the means of production, what and whatnot. Hmm. But they were um, some of them were masons, and there was a group of black masons too, and. Um, around that time, they were also part of the Underground Railroad. Like spiritually, in terms of Egregore, most of the people that I'm reading about in my research that were part of the Underground Railroad were either Quakers or Masons. Um, and and there was a big network of, uh, I guess, it was a place where men felt free to speak their mind freely back then, you know. Uh, and they, they used... A, how much Rosicrucian stuff did they use in the average Masonic meeting anyway, Edward? I, I don't know a whole lot about Masonic Not much. Besides that. Hmm. 
the there's a black Masonic group called the Priya also helped with the Red String Raiders. And they <coughs> they were very they were very Egyptian and um and Randolph Beverly Randolph Pascal Beverly Randolph is kind of part of that as well. He started a lodge in Nashville. Um, so you said something that, that I thought was very important, and that was people were allowed to ask questions. Yeah. Right. And that goes back to what BT was saying earlier mm. about in experience of, you know, these golden dawn hierarchies, how people kind of just keep their mouths shut to just mm. kind of follow order and uh, just let things kind of the hierarchy happen. Mm. And um, me having experience of being in uh, an order like that twice, two different times, the yoga cult and then our parents would treat us when they bring a problem to them and then they make us feel bad about that problem it's like we don't like those experiences so it's like <clears throat> needing to climb into my own psychology and dig out those pieces in me that had problems with my parents when they have a problem with me having a question you know like a lot of people like hierarchy and they don't like asking questions and they like following suit because they like having a mom or dad around that can just be responsible for calling the shots. And that way they're not responsible for whatever happens. And it's like, that to me is not a good spiritual school. A good spiritual school is based on what, you know, BT was talking about earlier and what you brought up about these, these uh, Masonic orders, you know, in the, in the past that, you were free to bring up whatever problem you had because you were you're brought into the order. You're trusted. Because we trust you, we'll listen to you, right? And I think that's important for a functioning organism, mm -hmm. right? Well, I think kind of jumping off from that, one of the things that I found that's interesting about the the order that I'm a part of now is it doesn't seem to have the same toxic relationships that we had in the old order. So, you know, the, the temple that I'm a part of now, we still have the three chief set up, but that's basically for teachings, you know, because the, the chiefs have been around longer, so they understand the teachings of the Golden Dawn and the temple specifically a little bit more. But when it comes to like the decision process of the temple, the temple makes them as a whole. You know, we, we actually talk about things. We interact with everybody and we find out what everybody thinks. And, and that comes down to even, you know, allowing mem new members to join. You know, when we, when we go through the interview process, the interview process starts off with mainly the chiefs, but the second interview that we have is, anybody from the temple who wants to show up so that everybody can kind of get a feel for the new person make sure hey is this somebody that we feel like we can all get along with you know is this somebody that we feel like is, is going to mesh with the current egregore mm. and move forward from there so it's it's kind of this bizarre um hybrid of the hierarchical structure that most people are accustomed to and a more, you know, in my opinion, anarchy type structure of, you know, everybody's, everybody's on an equal playing field. You know, nobody's better than anybody else. It's, which is one of those things that in, in the older we used to talk about, but nobody ever actually did. Mm. Hmm. 
exactly. It's a front, right? Yeah. <clears throat> you know, and so I, I think that the you know the golden dawn structure done properly can accomplish those same ends. You know, if it's actually if you actually do what the teachings say to do and you focus on the right things. I mean, I think anybody who's actually going through and doing the work um, will end up leaning left, personally. Mm. Mm. Um, I agree. And, and, and I think any order that is actually functioning properly will stay away from making political announcements, mm. right? Yeah. And, yeah. and not indoctrinate their members. The <clears throat> and, uh, and I think in order that's functioning properly, any member that has any issues or problems or questions should feel the freedom to bring them and voice them, talk about them, mm. right? Absolutely. And if, and if that's not regularly remembered, like here we are again, just wanted to remind everyone, if you have any problems or anything on your mind, please bring them, talk with them about this, you know, foster openness. If that's not readily talked about too with membership, you know, then, uh, you know, the atmosphere of whatever order person is in really needs to be checked. And, and it's up to each person to do it themselves. It's their own personal responsibility. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of times where the, a lot of the problems start to develop within any organizational structure, whether it's an order structure or a Masonic structure or work structure or whatever, is people not bringing up the problems that they have. Or the questions that they have, or there's miscommunications and nobody bothers to say anything about it. Yeah, it corrupts the seed, doesn't it? Mm. Or yeah. there's like, I mean, on a on one level, I mean, taking a a sort of Buddhist um, angle, that there's the idea of compassion and there's the idea of wisdom, and in the sense of that, in this context, wisdom. The, the wisdom of knowing that none of this actually has any meaning and that it's all basically just ashes blowing in the wind, that's wisdom. But compassion is knowing that for practical purposes, we are here and we are, you know, all we have and we've got to look out for each other. And so, so what I see happening, not just in Buddhism, but in, uh, you know, Golden Dawn and, and uh, maybe some Thalamic circles as well, is this philosophic detachment uh, disguised mm -hmm. as wisdom, but, the, the, but, but no compassion and, uh, or compassion only for a certain select group of people like me, you know, compassion for me and my family and people who look like me and have the same income and everything. After practicing Buddhism now for a, a number of years, I have a similar experience of Western esotericism missing basic compassion practices. Mm. And it's like, it's such a cornerstone of spiritual work. Mm. We have to ask ourselves, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this spiritual work? Why am I doing this? Yeah. And if it doesn't end up with, for the elevation of suffering, mm. right? For the freedom and liberation of being, of all beings, then why are you doing what you're doing? Like, mm -hmm. that's where I've ended up with my compassion mm -hmm. practice. And, yeah. uh, and uh, it's compassion and impermanence and a couple of other things that are found in with Buddhism that are not present within a Western esotericism mm -hmm. kind of fills in the cracks right. and makes Western esotericism mm -hmm. more available and more meaningful, at least in my experience. Yeah. And the more compassionate sides mm -hmm. of 
of Christianity, or at least the teachings of Jesus, not just the sword flying out of his mouth in the book of Revelation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's that too. Oh, we that, need that, was sword. Pretty badass, that, but that sword comes from <laughs> compassion. I mean, in my mind, in my mind, when, when you have compassion for your fellow brethren, you see, you know, wrongdoing, the sword comes out, of course, but that's, that's the right sword. That's the correct sword. The frustrating thing is how I, I see the fasci, you know, they flip it all. They call us fascists, you know, because we, we think that we all ought to, you know, do something about how fucked it is. And then they say, you think you all ought to, oh, that sounds very fascist. I just think that I want to, and that means I'm free. And therefore, yeah. screw you. I'm like the Darth Cheeto, you know, and, and it's, it's a lazy, it's a lazy emotionally lazy like just sort of going what's comfortable you know in it the, in absolutely the moment. is and 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 the people who believe this stuff have been groomed over generations mm. to believe it we mm. live in a country where our education system is poor we do not receive classes in civics or critical mm. thinking oh god right and yeah. so and so our parents and their parents been groomed for decades with just relentless media Mm. and constant programming i watch my parents watch fox news every morning and i sit down and watch with them sometimes and i listen to the kind of wow. rhetoric coming through and how it's just filled with logical thing that is meant to groom people and they're like what you say lazy emotions mm. you know it's it's like we're, we're a lot of we're talking a lot about lazy christianity in this discussion too you know my parents claim to be evangelical they sit and watch Joel Osteen every Sunday. They both vote for Trump. I watch it every day because wow. I live with them. You know, wow. and it's like, I can't blame them for thinking this because their brain has been groomed this way for decades to think this way. And if I say anything challenging, they get, they have an emotional response. Yeah. So how do you, how do you talk to them like on a daily? Because I know with my parents. Because we don't just yeah. don't talk about it. We just okay. don't talk about it. Mm. We, I love them for who they are because in wow. the moment when it counts, which is you know, my dad talks to someone who's black, when my dad talks to someone who's poor, when my mom has the same kind of confrontation, they're good people. And mm -hmm. so it's like in those moments, that's what counts for me. You know, right. basic ideology and what they feed their brain is, it's like I don't have any control over that, you know, and um, and I can't blame them for bias is a big thing. People want to believe what they want to believe and this information that, that supports what they want to believe. It's just yeah. what we do as humans. And so it's like the good word of Christ, the good word of Jesus that you're talking about, Eli. It's yes, we need to continue talking about these things to people who have the ear to listen. Because the people who think they're right, think they're right. And they're not going to think any other way. Yeah. And it's just it's just how the world is. and so we talk about compassion with compassion for them in the sense where they're having the experience that they're having and the only thing i can do for them is do my practice yeah yeah only that's part of compassion practice in buddhism is we end up where we end up where god i wish i could help them and then we finish i wish i could help them with the way i can help them is with my practice and we end there hmm right because if i'm radiating peace if mm -hmm. i'm in a sense of connection mm. not lazy connection but real connection if i know the truth yeah 
I can sit in that and be it. And sometimes just that's just the work to do, you know? Good times. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that, I, you know, I think there's like a two prong at least, probably three, because there's usually three prongs to, to when they say prongs. But anyway, <laughs> I'm only thinking of two right now. So I guess it's a salad pork. Anyway, or what are those things called? Doesn't matter. Um, yeah, there's, there's that internal process of doing the work and keeping, keeping, yeah, keeping, keeping the right focus. And then also, uh, nothing will change. I mean, I'm being a total hypocrite. I ran away. I'm totally like, I just like, never mind. See, ya, I'm going to be on an island somewhere. But you speaking, to heaven, speaking, my friend, uh, speaking yeah, as a total away, hypocrite. You just got taken to redemption. <laughs> speaking as a total hypocrite. No, um, without without something some kind of activism some kind of planned efforts beyond voting you know uh plus voting um nothing will change and uh and but with uh, you know our brother yates put it very well of course i know we all know the quote but it's uh you know the the worst are full of passionate the the, the best lack all conviction while the worst are full of passionate intensity and it's a poem about the end of the world and um, so, I mean, that's what it's, that's what the problem is, is it takes a Darth Cheeto to see the left actually get out into the streets, you know, because the rest of the time they're like, ah, oh, I just don't have the energy. Plus, I mean, I notice like different, different uh, sl slices of left, you know, like Hillary versus Bernie supporters or something like, like, it's just divide and conquer, like what it, we can't do anything when we're divided amongst ourselves, like the Judean people's front, you know, and the, <laughs> the front of Judea, you know, can't, can't unite against the Romans, you know. I introduced my sons to the life of Brian uh, a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> nice. Uh, they, they really liked it, although sometimes they they don't always go to the most appropriate scene. It's like, oh, shit, I forgot about that scene, you know. Um, it, it was funny though they, they love like the me uh, what's the uh the holy grail and i was i was doing my zoom uh classes with the 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 Panthers and you know we're we're uh, going through huey huey newton books and and fred hampton speeches and stuff and max is out there and he, he has autism by the way you know? and he's whittling on these sticks he's making these harry potter ones and I'm making a comment, and he looks up and he goes, "There you go, bringing class into it again." <laughs> <laughs> From the anarchist peasants, the anarcho-syndicalists is like, <laughs> they love to go around saying, "How do you know he's a king? He's the only one who's got shit all over him." <laughs> they love saying shit now, like he's eleven, and like shit is his power word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so words words are also really important what i've noticed with my parents and watching them is there's certain words that if i say it will immediately emotional trigger trigger them right mm. if i say the word anarchist boom right. i've lost it yeah that's what we I lost a lot of our audience when we started boom. using that word i think yeah. <laughs> right if i if i use the word socialist boom you yeah. know i've lost any kind of reasoning or any kind of of meeting of minds. So it's like learning to talk with people that, that have been, you know, soaking in this minefield for so long. It's like, kind of like walking through a minefield, like a word minefield. One of the things that you can bring up there 
that I found to be at least a little bit helpful in, in at least in like planting a seed without having to use one of those scary words like socialism or Marxism or anything like that is um, Acts chapter four, starting at verse 32. Hmm. It describes yeah. the early church and it is like full on communist. Yeah, it is. Um, it talks about um, somebody selling their house and giving the money to the community and you know anything that, the, that a person owns is owned by the community i mean it, it's yeah. full-on communist um and so it's one of those fun things that you can bring up <laughs> without having to use one of those scary words um that i found helpful at least <laughs> I like, you know, I like trying to find things that are actually you know, yeah. like in the Bible to, right. to bring them stuff. back to. Um, that's one of the, the big ones that I've been using lately. Yeah. Hmm. I'll have to ask my dad about that. Yeah, what's um, that'd be interesting. A couple of the things that I've been coming back to a lot lately are all from Acts. There's the Acts chapter 4, starting at 32, for the communism. And then um, Acts 15 gets into a lot of the, the laws of Leviticus and stuff don't actually apply anymore. And so, and so when, they're, when they're going off on their, their rants against anything that happens to be brought up in Leviticus that they don't like in the moment, that's another fun thing to bring up. But I want to eat lobster. <laughs> you Thanks can. X15 says you, you can. can. <laughs> <laughs> well, but because the, of that, the... I can also get tattoos. Yeah. yeah and, I can love and, whoever I want. And you ask, Eli, you ask, you know, how can I live with him? You know, and uh, the, the main reason is because all that stuff, it, it, like what BT was saying, it doesn't matter. It's like, like what matters is, is my state. What matters is, is if I'm in a state of uh, compassion and permanence, right? If I'm in this place of awakened awareness and I'm tending to how I feel about the moment, right? And so living with them is a great test for me with that. I've been able to work out so much anger and so much arrogance mm. and, and learning how to speak with them in a way that's respectful about delicate things too. Yeah. You know, it's been a great, great gift in that. So it's like when I'm with people who I really do love, who have a different point of view, it's like, how, how, how do I maintain this relationship? Love is important. Love is the most important thing here, right? Love and acceptance. And so it's like, how do I work around this? If I make that important, find a way, you know, even in the moments that I'm mostly challenged mm -hmm. and, uh, and, do I have capacity for a lot of people like that? No, mm. I have let go of so many people that are Trump supporters, but I can't let go of my parents. No, right. I can't let go yeah. of my, I can't let I go of my, one of my main teachers is a Trump supporter too. I can't let go of him either, you know? And so I, I got capacity for like three, <laughs> like three intimates, yeah. Yeah, family, three people that are close to different. me. You know, and, and, and if I can learn to work with that and keep that integrated in my life in a heart space and learn how to work with it, then I grow in a different way. You know? Yeah. Hmm. 
We just kind of talk about the kids and talk about gardening and outdoor stuff. I mean, that's one of the things we have in common is a shared appreciation of nature, you know, and and just a lot of talk about in regards to that, to our experiences being outside. And and we both share the kind of wonder and awe. We speak differently about God now, but it's it's an experience that we, we have that's very parallel. And, you know, it's something we link up on. Isn't that funny? It's it's like a person is so much of a different point of view. It's like suddenly you can share this moment of just total realization and awakened awareness of the of the moment. It's like here you are in this state of awareness together. It's like in that moment, none of that stuff exists. Right? Yeah. It's it's just I had that happen when, I mean, it's like the phenomenon, and I think this goes whether whether someone's on the right or the left or anywhere in between, is when they're alone and they're looking at the world through their screen, through comment threads, it's so easy to just become polarized in that moment. And, and Facebook is, the algorithm is designed to make you polarized in that moment. And so, of course, mm -hmm. every time anybody brought up vaccination or anything like that, I, I mean, I don't actively engage people, but I sit there and go, oh, you idiot, you know, or, or unfollow block, depending on if I know the person or not. And, uh, and but then I went to this crystal shop down the street here in Anjunagoa, and it's run by this old, cool, like British punker guy who retired here and he's got tattoos and he's got this crystal shop. And, uh, and I was asking him, what does this crystal do? What does this crystal do? You know, and he's telling me all about the crystals and we're kind of like starting to open up about, okay, are you as much of a weirdo as me? You know, like he, <laughs> at, at first he's like, I just, it's a hobby. I collect crystals. And I was like, oh, well, I like to use this one on my third eye. And he's like, oh, okay. So we can talk, you know, like, like we're both, we're, but then at one point he was talking about, uh, yeah, they're I think they're going to make everybody get the vaccine. And I was so far away from wanting to like engage in an argument about vax or, or anti-vax. Like suddenly the, the, the label anti-vaxxer, I was like, okay, this guy technically, if you're gonna label people, is an anti-vaxxer. But I mean, he's the only other white guy I've met in Goa for one in the in the year in the two years I've lived here. And you know, so there's that bias, I you know, I'll admit. But uh, you know, we're speaking English and talking about you know England and the U.S. and and usually when I'm speaking English, I speak a little slower because people, you know, it's not everybody's first language here. I mean, it's nobody's first language here. Um, so uh, so yeah, so I bonded with this guy and I had no issue whatsoever with the fact that he was an anti-vaxer, and uh, so that kind of woke me up a little bit. I think everybody should have one friend on the other side at least. <laughs> So I we, used to have a friend of me. Yeah. <laughs> well, well that, that's the thing. I, I, I would think if, kid from Kentucky. In, in one social network, I think if one doesn't have a person doesn't have at least one of those friends mm. or two even, you know, then something is unhealthy about one social network. It's a bubble. It's yeah. like we should not live in an echo chamber. Right. And, the, and that's part of the problem of what we're trying to do here with this talk and discussion is, yeah. is take peel the peel away a little bit of the echo chamber that everybody's in because that's what social media is and then yeah. that's what our social lives are if we groom them to be and it's mm. like you know i think that's a good point yeah i wonder how much you're talking about relanguaging things uh a brother uh, 
yeah, I wonder how much more can be relanguaged in order to sort of build bridges of understanding. Okay, for, okay, for example, it's, it's like this whole abortion thing. It's like, I'm a abortion, it kills babies. It kills God's given souls. It's against God's plan. It's like, okay, well, totally for no abortion if we also take care of the kids. Hmm. It's like, of course we can take care of the kids. Okay, so then we're, we're on for universal health care. I mean, it's like... <laughs> right. It's like... <laughs> and then you, in nine times out of ten, the response I get is, I see where you're headed with that, Jim. And I'm like, Whoa. yeah, I think it's important. we got to think about these kids and their health. And it's like, if you're born in a situation where mom doesn't want you, like, how's it going to feel? It's like, you'd have to have a safety net, have someone to carry you, you know? So let's think about that. And it's like, there are ways, there are ways if we just, if we just not even think, just get quiet, hmm. yeah, just I get think quiet. For me, I've had you know, the complete opposite experience there. You know, whenever I've tried to, to go that type of route, they just, they change topic. So we'll go from abortion to yeah. universal health care, and they'll expand on all of the things that they're against with universal health care, ignoring where we came to get there. Uh, and so it ends up with this cyclical argument that goes on and on and on and on mm. because they just keep jumping they're, from they're, individual they're like, topic to individual topic and not recognizing. It's so infuriating when, when people use logical fallacies, consciously or unconsciously, they like as a like a like a form of dirty martial arts you know of, or of words or something like uh yeah like oh you use that it, word so we'll say this oh you use that word so i'll say that and it's like yeah but are we communicating or are we not you know like you remember what we it's, said it's, yeah it's well, equally infuriating to be called out by a logical fallacy in a way that's arrogant so that's it's like true <laughs> approaching a person that's approaching true. a person when they're when they have a logical fallacy we need to approach with sensitivity, yeah, right, and talking to them like, are there our friend instead of an enemy? So that's just true. To say that. That's true. Well, that's tr that's yeah. truly Christ-like if you can pull that off, dude. What the that, fuck are we trying to do here? Come on. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I'm go with the abortion topic, I'll go back to to number six because number six basically describes an abortion. Which oh so, numbers? Oh, okay. Yeah, the Book of Numbers, chapter six. <gasps> Oh, that's basically right. describes an abortion. Um, what, do, do you have these written down, Doc Bones? Like, I, I just know a few. That's... Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna send you a message because this okay. is a, such amazing, beautiful, wonderful information. The fact you have it memorized is like, um, yeah, because like with in this particular one, um, the story is basically about. Uh, a guy thinks that his wife has been cheating on him and goes to the rabbis to find out what to do and they basically say well here's a potion that you can make have her drink the potion oh. and if she's with child it will get rid of it i cannot wait to show that to my dad penny royal you know what? So you've, um, you've got the combination of abortion and pharmacology, which mm. a lot of Christians today are absolutely convinced is witchcraft, mm. and all in one wonderful story. <laughs> wow. Let's see. I, I've I've also had similar experiences though of going to people with the Bible or evidence, and 
then they change the topic or they mm. don't want to look at it or they say something just completely stupid. Like I spent so many years in college just to show my dad, just to prove to my dad evidence that I knew what I was talking about, present him evidence about certain things. And he looks at me after I show him this research and he looks at me and he says, you say that because they're funded by liberals. Oh. And I was like, I felt so defeated. I spent years working up just to this moment to get him to say, oh, wow, maybe I should look at this. And instead it was like, uh, I'm not going to look at this as funded by liberals. And it's like, it's like you can't, we can't change people. We can't mm. change people. And if that's part of our agenda is to change a person, it's like, I'm sorry, man, that's not compassion. Compassion yeah. is accepting a person for where they're at. I, I guess my agenda with, with get, getting the four of us together today was like mostly not for the people who are stuck in their position and they're not going to budge, but for the guy sitting next to him, kind of having to like nod along, but kind of <laughs> in his, in his mind thinking, is everybody like this? You know, like, am I the only one who thinks maybe this guy's full of shit? And just, just to kind of go, no, <laughs> there are others like you. Welcome brother. Yeah. That's actually one of the reasons why I, continue to post on social networks at all yeah is i know i'm not going to change anybody's mind i'm not trying to change anybody's mind but it's for the people that are out there that are trying to figure out what in the world is going on and thinking yeah. am i nuts for thinking this no you're not the only one no. there are others <laughs> there are more of us out there yeah you know it's just it's a voice that i don't see very much you know, outside of a few people. So I, I try to share it a little bit to let people know they're not alone. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I think like there was so much energy growing up spent on like evangelism and witnessing to people to try to convert them to evangelicalism. Sometimes I think we need to do like a reverse evangelism or missionary work and send like missionaries of gnosis to the bible belt mm. we could call it reverse missionary position <laughs> or just call it doggy and don't explain <laughs> <laughs> you know one, one of the coolest bible uh, sections that i find um i've had interesting talks with people about is discussing the year of jubilee where every 50 years, and it's something I thought about since I'm turning into 5 0 pretty soon. Um, but every 50th year, you know, seven after seven cycles of seven to 49, the following year was the year of Jubilee, where like all the bank records were thrown in the fire and everything kind of went to zero mm. and land was redistributed and, and stuff like that. Um, and all debts were released. <laughs> yeah. Even uh, a murderer after 49 years was released. If they were still alive. That that seems to be one of the things the prophets were often like railing about is like, you guys aren't doing the year of Jubilee thing. You're supposed to do that. This is the most important part of the law. Yeah. And you're getting hung up on these other parts of the law that aren't mm. as central to uh Yeah, it's a convenient thing to forget when you wanna like, you know, accrue a lot of debt and <laughs> make everyone your debt <laughs> slave. Yeah. Yeah. I think that very much relates back to what Leo was saying you know, coming, trying to come at it from a place of compassion, mm. you know, 
what what the prophets were railing against was the fact that they people the people weren't being compassionate yeah so Mm -hmm. hey let's come back to a place of compassion and try to do this right this time Hmm. right so living in a country where our first amendment protects our right to speak Hmm. and to see through you know live feed cams police beating on people who are there you know speaking their first amendment and to be both with you who are both on the, the front to actually see some of that just like um so what do we do you know and what do we do and if you're out there and feeling lost and alone it's like reach out because we're here <laughs> mm. yeah um, solidarity man is what's going to get all of us through this um find a sense of community with people that you can share solidarity with i think that's what's going to get people through this horrible transition in social history you know what i've learned that build that means building friendships one by one yeah learning what friends that i have see how i see and spending a little bit more time with them and talking a little bit more with them and spending a little less time with people who may be thinking differently where are you at geographically? Um, I'm in the Midwest. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right. I had a really good friend who was in Minneapolis during the uh, protests that were happening in Minneapolis after uh, things were happening up there. And he, like uh, Dr. Bones here, had experience of seeing the KKK march through the street that he was in him quaking with fear that the house he was in was going to be shot out because there was a Black Lives Matter sign outside his house mm. and they were shooting houses that had Black Lives Matter signs. Holy crap. Mm. I didn't know he came back that. in uh, shock and it took him a good year to finally settle down because he realized the truth of this country. And so it's like people, the thing I don't like about the Golden Dawn more than anything is it's a great system. And it's a system where you can find pockets to hide out in, don't do any work, kind of hide out in personality. And uh, especially if the Lodge is a hierarchy that has trouble with questions. Mm. Right. So it's like, I really urge people you know, if you find yourself in an order that you're not sure about, ask questions and make sure they're from the heart and they're feeling good and they're about integrity and good character, right? Yeah. And let that be your lead. That's let the right heart be your lead, right? Ask questions from that place. And if you ask the right questions, you'll find out what you're dealing with. Yeah. I, mean, I, would, I would suggest that's more an indictment of the individuals than it is of the system itself. Mm. Yeah, because I, I I feel like with any system, be it Golden Dawn or Thalema or whatever, there are places to hide if you want to. But mm. if you want to find out where people really are coming from, like you said, ask questions. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, people, people pose when you ask them on a public platform. You know what I mean? Like they grandstand yeah. for their audience and stuff. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's, you know, it's better, best to start the questions private. 
you know, or in person if possible. Oh, it's Miss Gruffles. <laughs> Miss Gruffles wants to say hi, Edward. Hi. Oh. <laughs> Edward got to spend some time with Miss Gruffles when he was out here visiting in California. Yeah, yeah, she helped me pack all my stuff and ship it to India. <laughs> Amazing. He's my own personal Anubis. <laughs> Hey Edward, I'm I'm gonna have to go to sleep pretty soon. I got to okay, get Okay, yeah. Well, let's morning. let's wrap up. Was, was there anything? Was there anything else that you wanted to cover today? Well, gosh, not really. I mostly just wanted to introduce you, um, and so I think that that's mission accomplished. And uh, in, any know. other good that comes from this episode is uh, is just a bonus. It was great talking to you guys, man. This is this has really been enjoyable. Yeah, I thought it would be. Because <laughs> yeah, I mean, I with, when the dynamic is Robbie and me, he's talking about, oh, I'm going to go out there and punch a Nazi. And I'm like, oh, well, I, you know, I'm going to the beach today, you know. And, and so it's like, okay, well, I'm not even like him, it's, you know what I mean? <laughs> as far as you that guys feeling are. goes, it's it, it, the, one of the best things I learned from college is it's like, what, what can we do with structural injustice? So the first thing is, is we learn and we raise awareness. And the second thing we do is we build solidarity. And then if we do those first two things, then the third thing happens where we're shown what to do, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like that feeling that you have when you punch a Nazi, that's great. It's like, hold on to it, cultivate it. Like, but think long-term. Yeah. Think long-term. That was step yeah. four. It shows you what to do and step four is punch that's a Nazi. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Gruffles is my battle dog. Hmm. All right. All right. I'm going I'm to get ready to hit the hay. Uh, I look forward to corresponding. Uh, blessings, guys. LVX. Blessings. Thank you so much, brother. We'll talk soon. Peace. Okay. Thank you both. Good night. Have a good night. You too. Thank you. I love this. I love the whole getup. <laughs> Thank you. Cool. See you. See ya. Is that okay, Mr. McKinley? One of the other people who are in the Thank you. Chale. Thank you, Robbie Strong, PhD, AKA Frater Silence, the Aquarian. And thank you, Eli and Bishop Leo for being my guest today on the Esoteric Nerd Podcast. And as always, special thanks to Susumu Ueda and his father and the other monks at Jofuku Inn on Mount Koyasan three hours north by train from Osaka for the music you're hearing right now. The same music that every episode opens with. Special thanks to, uh, you know, Indiana Jones and uh, what else did we have in there? Um, baby, what's the name of that movie again with the revolutionaries? Reng de Basenti. Uh, that was the clip at the end of the interview just before. It what? It's color me saffron. 
the, the color of sacrifice. Watch that movie uh, in Hindi with subtitles. It's on Netflix, I think. I mean, it's on Netflix here. Hopefully there too. It's a good movie. Um, I'll put a little thing anyway, so you can see at least the trailer for it. Uh, special thanks to Camille and Kennerly for the harp transition into and out of the conversation itself. And um, special thanks to you, the Esoterra Nerd, listening to this podcast, possibly watching this podcast. And, uh, okay. Well, um, let's close with a, a piece by Eli. I think I'm going to choose the one called Bellum. It has a certain, um, oh, I don't know sentimental uh, quality in the title for me personally and for a few others no doubt who are watching this i won't explain i'll just say blessings to you and good night Choice.